We have a very specific theme that no one's going to get. Think Twilight Zone. (laughs) And then you lose faith in humanity. Sounds uplifting. It's fun for me. It's very interesting. (laughs) It's my favorite of all time. It's episode 94 of the EdTech Loop podcast. My name is Larry Burden, and her Metachlorian count is off the charts. It's Danielle Brostrom, and also joining us, the TCAP's Yoda of data, Mr. Andy Phillips. We've learned to trust our feelings, which has revealed this week's moment of zen. Pass on what you have learned. Strength, mastery, but weakness, folly, failure. Also, yes, failure. Stay for some soup you must if you are to partake in this week's meat of the show, the light side of data. So last week, last week's episode, we had we had kind of a darker, maybe a little darker. It wasn't dark. It, it was, was informative. It was informative. <laughs> but we kind of talked about data and how, um, you know, maybe the privacy of our children can be invaded um, and some of some data points regarding them might be used for a less than helpful purpose in their life. We wanted to have Mr. Phillips on here, Andy on, to t- discuss what our school districts do with data that can really help them really achieve and grow in their learning. So with that being said, how are we using student data? First, Larry, let me, let me say that I did listen to last week's podcast. <laughs> Larry and I had a brief conversation last night (laughs) at an organization outside of school, and uh, we talked about COPPA, which which I learned about listening to the podcast. I also, it was awesome because uh, I was picking up my kid from gymnastics, which is where I saw Larry, and to listen to the podcast and the amount of time it took me to get home, I listened to it on double speed. Nice. Very high voices. It was awesome. <laughs> yes. And because I know both of you, it made it way more entertaining. Than it, than it really Makes was. me talk even faster. <laughs> and my daughter was freaked out by it, too. <laughs> okay, I'm going to do that. <laughs> so I did listen to it, and and it was interesting that we call – to me, that's, that's data. Yeah, I get it. And you guys talking about the thousands of data points that are out there just by basically living, not doing anything crazy high-tech all the time, just living and using your – personal devices creates all these data points. Well, students have data points too, and that's what we'll talk about today, I would assume, is how we use student-like assessment-type data, which comes in all sorts of forms. So how do we use it? It goes from school board reporting, state reporting, to the best use of data, which is teachers using it to help their students achieve at their very best. So that's a broad question, but that's a super, I mean, it's a super broad answer. That's how we use it. And it comes, you know, it's all sorts of forms. You have SAT data, which is college entrance, and it's also um, mandated state reporting data, but you also have a kindergarten student identifying colors. That's data too, <laughs> because if that student can identify colors and the teacher sees that, well, that student needs work on colors or patterns or shapes or whatever. So it's everywhere. You just kind of have, you know, pretty much answered the second question, but I wanted to go a little bit deeper. So the next question was, what data is being collected? And you kind of did it broadly. On a, on a district level and in a classroom level, what are, we, what are we targeting? What kind of data is targeted by the district? Because I think that's, as you said, we're always collecting data. Every teacher is in the classroom collecting data. It's called observation. Mm-hmm. 
what data are we then trying to track and really use? Because I think one of the neat things that we're doing, you know, with the blueprint to some extent is really going, okay, what data is useful? Mm -hmm. And then kind of focusing and tracking that. What, what, what kind of are some of those things that, oh, this is what we really want to key in on? First of all, if it's not useful and we don't have to do it, we shouldn't do it. That's that's the bottom line. Daniel's nodding yep, vigorously. Yep, write that down. <laughs> yeah. Say that again for the people in the back. Right. And and that's something that we have worked on with teams. And an example of that is we've taken away a lot of assessments for that were required in the elementary world that we just weren't using and teachers weren't using. And if they were using, they still have the option of of doing it, right? From the district level, we use the summative data the most, M-STEP. Uh, PSAT, SAT, NWEA, and I'm excited with this new data tool that Danielle uh, and I went to a thing on Otis, which compiles these data points together. So last week at Traverse Heights, when they had their half-day release day, probably for the first time, maybe maybe not for the first time ever, but the fir for the first time without doing hours and hours of laborious uh, cutting and pasting, I was able to show a fifth-grade teacher here are your students' last four NWEA scores along with their two last M-STEP scores. So that teacher can then narrow down, um, these are my real bubble students, because this student was proficient in M-STEP math last year, but not this year. And NWEA scores indicate that the student has a shot at being proficient on M-STEP. What does she do with that data? She's aware. That's the most important thing, in my opinion. She's just aware so that she just holds that student to this higher standard, knowing that yeah, your track record says you can do it and you'll be a needle mover for our school. The more local it can be, the better. Anything is data. You said it, observations are data. And oftentimes teachers don't remember that or recognize that as being as important as some of this other stuff. I think another theme I say all the time whenever I'm working with teachers is you always should have a reason for what you're doing. And there should be some sort of output. And the reason for what you're doing is usually whatever the assessment is going to be, right? So whatever that is, you should be using it to gauge how closely students are coming to whatever the learning target is. I have a moment of zen. I did a little. Only little, if it's Yoda quote, because that's what I was going with. It's not Yoda. <laughs> last week's pod and has a moment of zen. You need to come back often. I've got a couple of them. Just because I, at the moments of zen make me laugh every time that I hear them. This is a good one. Okay. It's not Star Wars, though. It's from Mark Twain. Data, Data is, is like, like garbage. garbage. You'd, better You'd better know, know what, what you are you going, going to do with it, with it before, before you collect, collect it. it. Are you going to put sound effects in there? Yeah, I have to, oh, 100%. I hope so. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> I might even change your voice, put you on half speed. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we have the data. We know how it's being collected. How are we communicating those findings with teachers? How are we making it useful? We have these, these points, these um, tools. We have the data. As you said, we want to know what we're going to do with it. Such How are question. we communicating that? Yeah. Uh, I, the more the teacher can own the data, the better. But there are so many, so many different areas that that data is located that sometimes Let's start on the district level it can be a roadblock. Down. Okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of how do we get this, the data to teachers? So NWA is a really good example. Many teachers, probably most teachers, maybe even all teachers are pretty savvy at, at manipulating the NWEA data warehouse website. So they go on and probably look at a quadrant report, which is maybe the best thing that, that teachers can look at as far as just like a balcony view. But teachers are doing that themselves. It's not like, I mean, some principals might give teachers a copy of maybe their quadrant report, but it's all about the teacher being able to mine it. 
and then, you know, as far as other data points go, it's just a matter of uh, how savvy teachers are themselves at mining into it. Like I'm thinking another really rich source of data is Think Central because we do all sorts of assessments on Think Central. But if the teacher isn't savvy about how to get in there and do it and, and really look at the results, you can see results by Common Core State Standard in Think Central, but it takes some clicks to get there. And often that what can be a roadblock. Sorry to interrupt. What is Think Central? It's the online testing tool that's our big publishing company for elementary reading and math. It's where all the assessments are housed and kids take the tests through Think Central. So unit tests, uh, passage tests, those kinds of things. So it's not all over the place. They're not having to search and... Right. But the more savvy you are... So Danielle can speak to this too, because there are teachers out there that get just gobs of really good information. And so when it comes time for something like report cards, teachers can pull these really great reports by doing smart things through Think Central, but they're, I would say, more savvy at being able to use it. And it definitely has, just like everything else, a personality to it. And sometimes it doesn't always, you know, work like we want it to work and whatever. Um, but if you're less savvy, you're just probably doing what the minimum requirements are. And then what happens to the data? Probably not much. As a tech coach, what are you finding regarding Think Central and that usability? What questions are you being asked, Danielle? Oh, well, I love that we're at the point where we're asking these questions, frankly. I love that education is at this point where we're saying, how am I going to use this data today to make changes to my instruction tomorrow? And if I'm not using the data, let's get rid of it. And how do I question what I'm giving the kids to decide whether it's actually going to make a difference or not? Like, I love that we're at a point in education where we're doing that because at the beginning of my career, we weren't. We were still just following what we were supposed to be doing. We weren't we, we, we weren't giving it that extra piece of thought and using the data in this way. So I love that we're here. Um, I totally agree with Andy. I think it just depends on the teacher's comfort level with using that data. We've we've done a really good job at, at collecting it, but I think that next piece, and this is the same everywhere, I think that next piece of actually how to use that data to change your instruction is, is where we're at. I think we're doing, we're making strides with that every day. One more thing too that I think is really important and relevant to this part of any kind of data conversation is that it shouldn't just be used like for for individual students and individual student growth. And a lot of my work, probably my favorite part of my work is when a teacher has a really good idea and wants to try something in, in his or her classroom. You can use data to see if something is working or not. Uh, instead of thinking, how am I gonna look at it today to adjust for tomorrow? You can think of it what do I want the data to show based on my hypothesis that this will be a needle mover for students? And so setting these goals and then looking back like holistically at did this work to either validate or to say you have to change what I thought wasn't going to work. That's another really powerful use of it. And um, that's another thing that wasn't really happening, I don't think, when we all started mm -hmm. in this field. We would do something and it basically... <laughs> sunsetted when the material got old or things ran its course and we would maybe try something different and the only thing we had to prove anything might be MEEP scores or something like that. Um, and even then, it was so so in the past, whatever yeah. that data was, that you couldn't the MEEP really was make... was always well behind. Mm -hmm. And MSEP really continues to be. So we have all this data that's now in real time. But I just wanted to put that in here, that, yeah. that that's another thing that teachers need to be empowered to use it for decision-making, for, for things that they 
they think about. Just it's all over the place. We, when a teacher has an idea and we can actually give it a shot and pilot something, the pilot comes along with, well, what are the expectations? And if we don't meet those expectations, we have to go back to either the way it was or rethink. I think it's exciting for teachers because I think things are more concrete. It's not just kind of like, well, it feels like it's it's gonna, it's okay. It's working. Traffic I, down I, the it, road without headlights on. Yeah, it feels more right. concrete and it's right. exciting for students because it's definitely, we're doing things that are making a difference. What's the most striking or surprising piece of data that you've run into since you've been here? Larry, that would have been a great one to give Big me a heads question. up on before. Uh, <laughs> wow. I, I thought about it. I thought about it. The most surprising thing to me was that, and continues to be, that data is located in so many different places. And you really have to work to try to make sense of it for whatever different stakeholder group that you work with. Gosh, I'd say the most interesting thing, and, and it probably was the same thing before I before I came and will continue to be because it's like this, this big puzzle. It's really interesting to me that students who may be high achieving on one type of test or are pretty high achieving like good A-B students sometimes are not high achieving on some like a, like an M-STEP or like a PSAT. And so that's something that a lot of uh, curriculum leaders and TCAPs are trying to really hone in on, which is why I mentioned getting that data all compiled together so we can identify who those students are and uh, and hopefully move the needle. But that continues to surprise me. So I just looked at a thing today that uh, I shared with someone that had a student who scored like in the 80th percentile in uh, the last iteration of NWBA math but wasn't proficient on the last iteration of the M-STEP for that student, but was proficient on two years ago's M-STEP. That's what's interesting to me. And uh, just to try to build more consistency in it for students so that when it comes time to take that 11th grade SAT, which is as high stakes as it gets, because that's the thing that can get kids into college and financial assistance and to make those real predictable. And you know, if we can hone in on those types of students and really help them achieve proficiency, it's going to be good for everybody. How does the blueprint help in that communication process, in that finding out what information and what data is useful, you know, that back and forth? It's funny. I hear a lot of your meetings yep. because you're right next door to my office, and I hear some really good discussion about data. How has you hear that... bad discussions? <laughs> I don't know what I do. I put the headphones on. Yeah, right. um, how does that, um, that structure help that dialogue? Probably the most important thing we do with the blueprint is something that is just really good practice, whether you're a blueprint district or not, but the blueprint forces you to do it is this thing called performance management. So every month, uh, the instruction curriculum instruction team sits down basically with principals, sometimes assistant principals, sometimes teacher leaders from each school, and we go over basically the, the balcony view of data. And then principals and those teacher leaders are prompted to have those same discussions with their building networks. Without something like the blueprint, those things wouldn't be in place to do so regularly. Um, and it just holds you to doing them regularly. And it forces you, and that's, that's an okay word to use here, it forces you to pick some sort of data to discuss each month. And we have it all laid out. So like uh, the first month was M-STEP data because it was September, first time we could talk about it. Uh, since we came back from summertime. The next month was NWEA holistic proficiency data. This next month is going to be what we can mine out of Think Central, getting local, uh, talking about student grades with secondaries. But we're kind of forced to stick to the same timeline so that principals know what to prepare for and so that, you know, we just know what we're going to be talking about when each month comes. 
that's a really powerful part of the blueprint. It holds you to these things and it makes you lay it out for the year so that you have something to follow. Teaching students is really complex. And I know in the past, having been in some of those meeting, meetings re- involving curriculum, it can spiral very quickly into a ton of different topics. And it's really hard to manage a meeting and make sure that you have some uh, an, an outcome that's workable and actionable. It's been interesting to hear those meet, the meetings involving the blueprint because it always seems like there's something actionable coming out of it that's data-driven. Yep. When we're leading meetings, like we're having a social studies workbook committee that just, I'm organizing the agenda now, and there's going to be data in that committee. We're going to put out there our struggling fifth grade MSTEP social studies scores, because that's the objective of that group. And that's there's no reason not to make it the objective. There's no reason not to say that we're coming together, investing in teachers to make the work more robust for students, because we think that'll move the needle with step scores. So yeah, even even on stuff like that, we're bringing data back into the conversation all the time. To tie in what we talked about last week, we are collecting all this data. How are we keeping it safe? And we all look at... I learned, <laughs> I learned, about, I learned about COPPA <laughs> last night at double speed in my car. So, Well, I think currently all the places where we are keeping data, we've negotiated the terms of those agreements with those companies. So we're good with those. It's all of the the random things that we just need to get a hold of. The, the research has been done. And I think I, <laughs> yes. I, I bring that up not to do a gotcha. I brought that up to, you know, if there are parents listening to this, to know that the main sources of, of data that we're using have been vetted. Yes. You know, Danielle's read the, the terms. Re- mm-hmm. Danielle's read the policies. We're safe. Yeah. Something that I found interesting coming to TCAPS is we did have a Danielle and we did have this big fairly large technology department that does do all of those things. And uh, it took it takes a minute to get used to all the people that you have to tell or communicate with of things that you're doing going forward so that people like Danielle can make sure the privacy policy is okay. And if it's not, you know, how can we work either work through it or make sure that we adjust whatever our agreement is so that it is okay? Yes. So those things do happen. Sometimes you have to be reminded, oh, you didn't tell so and so and you should have told them in the beginning. I'm getting better at that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I think we do have a bit of a lone ranger mentality sometimes in education and you know, we go off on our our tangents, but the structures are there, the structure structures are in place not to put a lid on the creativity that's going on in the classroom. They're there to keep us safe in the classroom and to support the teachers in doing what they could be doing and making sure that, for instance, the the data that they're collecting from their students is safe and useful. Mm-hmm. As you were saying earlier, you know, if, if we're not using the data that's collected, we probably shouldn't be doing that assessment. Mark Twain said that. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> With that, <laughs> is there anything else, Danielle? No. All right. Tech tool of the week. Can I have another, I've got oh, more quote. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I, prepared, yeah. I prepared one more quote for this. This is a good moment to Zen too. Data will talk to you if you're willing to listen. By some guy named Jim Burgesson. And finally, I like this one too. If we have data, let's look at data. If all we have are opinions, let's go with mine. <laughs> That's a good closing, right? That should be on your business card. <laughs> yes, it yes, it should. Tech tool that we can beat that. Tech. <laughs> Follow that. 
not. <laughs> but I do have a tech tool of the week. Um, there is a new podcast out that I'm really enjoying. It's called Copy Righteous, and it's by Diana Gill. And what she's doing is kind of awesome. They're called micro podcasts, and they are discussing responsible creativity for educators. So um, leading on our privacy and um, COPPA discussion last week, um, her first episode was just a short little five-minute snippet where students want to know how to use music safely in a video project. Here's how to use music safely in this video project. I'm really interested to see where this podcast goes because I think anytime we can get those short snippets about digital citizenship and media literacy to our teachers, the better off we are. So keep an eye on this podcast. They're doing some pretty cool stuff. How long are they? Um, five minutes. Boom. Here's your stuff. Here's what you need to know. So copyrighteous. Tutorials and updates. Really, unbelievably, the Technologist has no new tutorials this week, which is the first time, I think this year, that he hasn't had at least two. Oh, so come on. Come on, David. Get, a, get busy. If he's yeah, David. Two, maybe he should hold one back. <laughs> so he has one in the camera. I think last week he had three, like to be honest. So, you know, I guess we'll give him a break this time. So, really, I was just going to give another shout out to the to the COPPA podcast last week. I think it was really informative and um, it would benefit anybody to listen, I do believe. So, in closing, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at TCAPSLOOP. At Brostrom DA. At Fish and Sparty AP. All right. Um, subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Downcast, Overcast, the Google Play Store, and Spotify, or wherever else you get your ear candy. Leave a review. We love the feedback. Thanks for listening and inspiring. And then next time, if there's a if there's a focus for it, mm-hmm. that would be lovely. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs>